Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is I Am by Pastor Sean Wood. Let's pray as we prepare to come around God's Word this morning. Amen. Father, you truly are good. In all of our lives, you have always been faithful. We celebrate that here this morning. You are the faithful God. Father, I pray this morning that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts and open our eyes. Let us see more of Jesus, I ask, in your wonderful and glorious name this morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, If you'd like to make your way to Exodus chapter 3, we'll continue our series uh, throughout the book of Exodus. Thank you to Liz for covering last week and for Mark last Sunday evening. Uh, when I was preparing this, for, for this uh, sermon this week, I, I was reminded of the two farmers that went to a international farming conference. One farmer was from India and another farmer was from Texas. And we all know that everything in Texas is big, right? And over lunch on day one, uh, the Indian farmer and the Texas farmer begin talking. And the Texas farmer says to the Indian farmer, he says, you know what? He says, how big is your farm? The Indian farmer, and I'm not going to try an accent so that we don't end up with the Indian ambassador on line one. <laughs> the Indian farmer says, he says, you see the 7-Eleven all the way down there on the corner? The Texas farmer says, yeah. He says, well, from where we're standing to that 7-Eleven in a square, he said, that's about the size of my farm. Texas, big Texas farmer with his big hat, his big belly, leans back and he says, well, boy, he says, if you get in your truck, he says, it's sun up. He says, and you drive in a straight line all day till sundown. He says, you'll only just reach the other side of my farm. And the Indian farmer says, well, sir, he says, I understand completely what you're saying. He says, I once had a truck like that too. Although that's a comical story, and it's not true, so the Indian ambassador may not ring me. Isn't it easy to get confused and lost and disorientated when we don't have a point of reference? When we have different points of reference, it's very easy to become confused. And I wonder whether many of the ills, many of the challenges in religious circles today is because many of us see God as the Indian farm when in fact he's the Texas farm. But we've lost our point of reference. Today, God will give Moses a point of reference. And I love how he does that. I love how God does that. What, what brings us to the last half, and we're going to pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 3, but what brings us here, remember in chapter 1, we began the story of God's people in Exodus, and we began to highlight that it was dark days for, for the people of Israel, but God was right there. God was, God was in it. God had a plan, God had a purpose, and God was always moving them to a better place. And, and last time we spoke, we, we spoke about the fact that God uh, is like a divine 
invasion, God interrupts us and, and he doesn't leave us uh, there. You know, Moses, we understand, uh, it takes matters into his own hands and he tries to, he knows that God's called him to be the deliverer. So he says, you know what, I'll take matters into my own hands. And, and when has that ever worked out well? When have we taken the reins and ever stayed on top of the horse? And Moses, uh, what do we learn? We learn that you can't do God's work the world's ways. And he ends up out the back of the desert, but God never leaves him there. I love how God does that. And and God interrupts Moses. And uh, last time we were in the book of Exodus, we learned that uh, Moses, the, the, the pivotal moment for Moses was when he turned aside. And I wonder how many times God lights burning bushes for us and we walk straight past. Trying to get our attention. How glorious is God that he even bothers to try and get our attention, right? But God is ever trying to get our attention, ever trying to pull us aside. What we're going to see today, a couple of things we need to grab as we move our way through. First thing we need to grab is you may easily grab the assumption that this book, this chapter in particular, these verses are all about Moses, that it's all about the call of Moses. It's all about the humility of Moses. It's all about how God meets him out in the desert and he responds to the burning bush. This is certainly involves Moses, but it's all about God. It's all about how big he is. It's all about how gracious our wonderful God is that he would even bother with us. The other thing we're going to see, which I think is very important that we grab as we move our way through, very important for for every person in the room here today, is before God sends us out, he draws us into his presence. Very important. Interesting, um, I was reading recently the line of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, where he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's a very uh, simple sentence. There's about four sermons in that sentence, I would imagine. But uh, I was interested because after that, it says that the disciples followed him. But what I realized in the Greek was that when Jesus said, follow me, and it says that they followed him, two completely different words in the Greek. Uh, to follow him uh, was a response. And it says to make one, uh, uh, to follow one as a disciple or a disciplined learner. But when Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, that means in the Greek, Basically, it means to desire, to burn for, to lust after. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is, I want you to have a singleness of heart lusting after me. What's the first thing Jesus does? He draws them in. Mark chapter 3, before any of the disciples have done anything, before they have healed anybody, preached any word, it says that Jesus called his disciples to be with him. So he draws us into his presence before he sends us out. And I love the rest of that sentence, by the way. And I will make you fishers of men. The most holy people fish. (laughs) Today, as we work our way through, Moses... And also beginning of the chapter 4, we're not going to reach chapter 4 today, but we're going to see that Moses actually asked three questions. Very, very profound questions. Today we're going to see how God answers two of those questions. And then as part of next week, we're going to see how God answers the third one. Uh, Question number one that Moses will ask is, who am I? I wonder how many people in the room today are asking that question. Second question Moses asks, I love how God answers this, who is God? 
basically paraphrasing, Moses will say to God, when I get over to your people, who sh- to whom shall I say he's calling? And God has an answer. And the last question, which we'll pick up next week is, and what if they don't believe me? It's interesting. Let's begin where uh, we left off. Uh, we finished in verse 8 and verse 9. We'll pick it up at verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel says, The Lord has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. I love that word. Come, I will send you. The word come is enormously different to the word go. Come says, let us come. It's an invitation. Go is, the, is a directive. And you'll find in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, many translations wrongly translate that God says to Noah, go into the ark. In the Hebrew, God says, come. He's already in there. What God is saying to Moses is, you're not going to Egypt on your own. You're not going to Pharaoh on your own. Come, I will send you. Very important. Come, I will send you. God invites Moses to join him. And we'll have a look at how God answers the first question. Let's have a look now. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses... Some buts in the Bible are good, some buts are not so good. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Who am I that you would come to me? Who am I that you would send me? Who am I that you would ask me? Who am I that you would invite me? When I get to Egypt, what on earth do I have that means I'm going to liberate these people? And the answer is nothing. Moses will now expose a biblical principle, which is a surprising secret to being useful to God. It's called inadequacy. And if you have not reached the place of inadequacy yet, God bless you, God is taking you there. If you fast forward to the Gospels, there was a disciple by the name of Peter, thought he had it all together. I'm going to die with you, Jesus. I would never deny you. I would never leave you. And you barely, those words barely fall off the end of his tongue before we read that he's denying Jesus three times. And often we think the most profound moment in Peter's life was at Pentecost. But the most profound moment in Peter's life was when the rooster crowed and he realised, you know what, I'm completely inadequate. And at that moment, Jesus is like, I've got you right where I want you. Moses looks through the lens of his weakness. Moses looks through the lens of his failure. Moses looks through the lens of a man who is 80 years old and says, who am I that you would send me? Don't raise your hand this morning. Any 80-year-olds here this morning, don't raise your hands. We already know. No, we don't. But Moses, uh, Moses can see failure. He can see weakness. But uh, it's interesting. Uh, Moses makes a mistake that we all quite often make. The mistake that Moses makes now is, because I love how God answers this. Have a look at how God answers it. God says, but I will be with you. And notice how God didn't say, yeah, you're right, Moses. <laughs> God didn't say, no, that's right, Moses. You're nothing but a sheep herder in the back of the desert. You took things in your own hands. You mucked everything up. That's not what God says. God doesn't even answer his question. He says, oh. 
I will be with you. That's all you need to know, Moses. Yes, you are inadequate, Moses. I knew that when I called you. Yes, Moses, you are flaky. I knew that when I called you. Yes, Moses, you're a bit of a sook. But I knew that when I called you. But he still calls Moses anyway. Why? Because God will be with him. And the mistake Moses makes, I think that we all tend to make, is we seem to think that identity is something that uh, we must achieve, when in fact identity is something that you receive. You see, let's say for example, and I couldn't imagine anybody wanting to do this, but imagine you went to England. And imagine you wanted to go and see the Queen. Imagine you walk up to the palace and you say, I'm here to see the Queen. What's the first question the guards are going to ask you? Who are you? you? There's no right answer to that question. It's not going to get you past the gates, right? You don't have a relationship. You don't have any means or any grounds to approach the Queen. Interesting fun fact, when Kate Middleton was 15 years old, had she approached the gates, she'd have got no further than anybody in this room. But now, if Kate Middleton walks up to the gate and says, I'm here to see the Queen, and I'm with him, she says, I'm with Will. When they say, who are you? She says, I'm Will's wife. She received an identity. She didn't achieve it. She didn't deserve it any more than anybody else. But because she's in Will... She has a whole new identity. What's God saying to Moses? You don't achieve an identity. You receive it when you are joined to me. We can approach God. Why? Because of Jesus. Identity is nothing that we achieve. Religion says you have to achieve an identity. You have to carve an identity. You have to achieve your own righteousness. That's what religion will tell you, but that's not what God tells you. God doesn't affirm Moses here. God answers with him with, I will be with you. That's the greatest promise in scripture, friends. Joseph from Genesis, he doesn't have a headstone, but if he did have a headstone, carved on his headstone was, would be, God was with him. That's what you read all through Genesis. God was with him. doesn't matter where he found himself. Let's read on and see what God has to say. I love this next part. Verse 12, he said, but I will be with you. Have a listen to this for a sign, right? He says, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When? I love how God never uses the word if. You know, God doesn't say to Moses, go down there and give it a crack. And if you manage to stay the distance and if you manage to get through and give it your best shot. And God doesn't say any of that. God doesn't try anything. God says to Moses, when? You have delivered my people. Have a look at this for a sign. What kind of a sign is this? When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What kind of a sign is that? When I read that, I'm thinking, God, are you trying to get this guy in or out? But it's interesting. uh, What I noticed with signs similar to this 
is that some are for present persuasion. And we're going to encounter those in chapter 4. You know, when Moses has got the staff and God says, throw the staff down on the ground, turns into a snake, put your hand in your pocket. We'll deal with those next week. But they're present persuasions. But also God deals with signs that are future confirmations and ratifications. And I didn't grab the gravity of this until I started pulling all of this apart. But the reality is that when Israel does leave Egypt, they, uh, between Egypt and Canaan, Horeb is nowhere on that path. There is going to be a moment when Moses and all of God's people are going to be standing on Mount Horeb, having no idea why they're there, having no idea, thinking in completely inexplicable circumstances. And what God is saying to Moses, when you're standing on this mountain, I want you to know I sent you and you're in the right place. There's another example of this. Many people think that before the creation of the world, God had already foreordained that Judas was going to betray Jesus. But Judas made his own choices. That's a series of sermons for another day. Judas made his own choices. But right from the outset, right from the very beginning, Jesus stands up and says, I chose you 12 and one of you will betray me. Why did he do that? Because after he's dead, this wasn't a surprise for Jesus. But you look back and go, he knew that all along. The disciples didn't even get it. Jesus passes Judas the bread and they still don't get it. Tasmanian. God is saying, this now ratifies that his presence is with Moses and that God has sent Moses because why? There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no trying. You will deliver the people. You will worship God on this mountain. Anybody ever found themselves in completely inexplicable circumstances and wondering, God, what on earth are you doing and why did you bring me this way? This is not the plan I had. Interesting, Israel cries out to God. There's no evidence they cried out to be delivered to the promised land. In fact, what, they, what we do see is they wanted God to make their life in Egypt more comfortable. <coughs> Bit of a warning this morning. Pray whatever you like, but be expectant that God will answer it however he likes. And when you find yourself on Mount Horeb, wondering how on earth did I get here? Why am I here? Know that God's presence is with you. Now we come to the next question. I like the next question, only because I like how God answers it. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What's Moses saying? When I go to Israel and I say, who's calling? Who shall I say has sent me? And I love how God answers this. What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. You'll notice that most Bibles should have that in completely and utterly capital letters. 
And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am, I am not going to sail in a lane that I shouldn't be in this morning. I'm not going to pretend to be a scholar of Hebrew. And I know that nobody else in this room is a scholar of Hebrew. So I'm not going to pull that word apart. That, that is God's name. It's Yahweh. You can, you can pull it apart how you like. It's not Jehovah. In fact, uh, so that they would not, so that they would not blaspheme, the Israelites substituted and called him Adonai or Lord. Because they wouldn't, so I'm not even going to pretend to play around with that this morning. But what God is saying to Moses is, I am who I am. And I love how in just that statement of I am, God bursts all of our definitions, all of our attempts at defining God, all of our attempts at putting labels on God, all of our attempts attempts at putting a fence around God and hedging him in. God bursts all of them apart and says, I am who I am. You cannot put a framework around God. You cannot describe God. You cannot define God. As Ravi Zacharias used to say, uh, describe God and give three definitions. You can't do it. He's too big. When Jesus was here, he made seven I am statements, statements that clearly describe that he is divine. And I think that much of the difficulties facing Christians and many people in religious circles today is the fact that we try to define God and we try to shape God and we try to modify God. Most of our ills and challenges flow from the fact that we are unwilling to accept God for who he is and then conform our life to his image. Rather, we want to form God in our image. We want to, we want to modify God. We want a definition. We want, a, we want a new gospel that means I'm going to be rich and wealthy. That's not how the Bible works. The, the Bible, what God is saying right now to Moses and to everybody is simply this. I do not mould into your image. You must adjust your life to mine. Many of our challenges and ills in Christian circles is because we try to redefine God. We try to package God. God will have none of it. Uh, Fast forward, I hope you forget this by the time we get there. But here's my hope as we work our way through the book of Exodus. When we get towards the end, there's going to come a time when God comes to Moses. Imagine God does this today. Comes to Moses and says, you know what? I'm going to give you everything you want. You and the people of Israel, you can go into the promised land. I'll defeat your enemies for you. I'll give you peace. I'm going to give you everything you want, but my presence is not going with you. I pray that each and every one of us in this room will answer the same way Moses does. And Moses says, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't take us up. But I wonder today, I wonder today, you get yourself in a lot of trouble, but I wonder today how many pastors, leaders, churches, how many of us would say, yeah, okay, what if, what if Jesus walked in right now and say, oh, I'll give you, I'll give you all your new buildings, I'll, give you your, I'll fill all your budget needs, I'll do all of the things that you want, but you'll never have my presence in this church. I wonder whether we would sell that out. Lord, give us your presence if we're meeting out in the street. Uh, I have, don't tell the board this, but I have the easiest job in the world. Because I learned very early on I can't make Jesus any more attractive. 
you look across the landscape of churches and people are saying, you know, well, we don't have many young people in churches. People are, people are slotting. What do we have to do? And, and, and look, you know what? Uh, we, could, we could repaint the walls. We could get brand new instruments. Uh, we could do all sorts of weird and wonderful things. It doesn't matter what we... We could institute new programs and, and, and all those sorts of things. And it doesn't matter what you do. I can't make Jesus any more attractive. I can't do it. It doesn't matter how, what colour the walls are. But what I pray is that God would use us in this place to open your eyes to how glorious he is. And I don't need to make him any more attractive. But if you, see, if you see a glimpse, if you see just a glimpse of his glory, it'll transform your life forever. Lord, open our eyes. Moses says, to whom shall I say is calling? God says, I am who I am. Uh, imagine with me sailors that sail according to the stars. Imagine in Christian circles today, we're trying to realign the stars to where we want to go, but you can't navigate that way. The stars are immovable. We must adjust our ships and our vessels to the God of the Bible. But who does this God reveal himself as? There's two very main facets that I would like to highlight that are in this passage. First one is when we come to the word I am, what is God telling us? God is telling us that he is sovereign. And I love that about God. Uh, I've got some really good news for everybody in this room. If you're sitting here today wondering to yourself, what on earth is God going to do next? I've got the answer for you this morning. God is going to do whatever he darn well pleases because he is God. What what, uh, sovereignty means is that he's not constrained by anything. You see... When Mark Patch tees off on the first tee, uh, he lines up, he's got his club in his hand, he's thinking Tiger Woods. But there's some constraints. There's some constraints in the swing, he can't hit the ball like Tiger Woods. It's like when my boys come fishing with me, they're thinking, I can catch fish, but they soon realise that they don't have, they have constraints that I don't have. God doesn't have any of those constraints. God is whoever he chooses to be. God does whatever he decides to do. Because he's sovereign. God is constrained by only two things we find in Scripture, his character and his promises. There is nothing that God does not see. There is not a single word that God does not hear. There's not a single thought that you think, this is a little bit alarming, there's not a single thought that you think that slips his attention. You can't put a boundary around this God. The call of scripture is not to define God. It's to reveal how awesome he is that we would worship him and adjust our lives to him. Firstly, God is sovereign. Second one is, and I love this next one. Let's keep reading until we find this one. It says in verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you. I love this next part. I have observed what's been done to you in Egypt. Verse 17, and I promise... I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Second thing that God reveals about himself, number one, he is the sovereign God. Second thing he reveals is he is a God of covenants. 
The Bible is filled with covenants. We are right in this moment in the new covenant. But what is it about covenants that is so awesome about God? God gives us a picture of what that looks like. In today's world, many young people today are opting out of marriage turns out. Most of them say, what's even the use of getting married? Uh, It's pretty much just a piece of paper, but of course, it's much more than that to God. But what happens is many people are saying, you know what, who wants to be locked in? And, and, and a married life is, 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 you know, a life that's locked in and, and we lose all of our freedoms. We have, we have hen's nights and we have buck's nights because it's like, you know, your last night of freedom. And not that you can, most people can remember them anyway, but I would like to propose that marriage is actually the freest choice we have on the planet. Why? Because to the exclusion of everybody else, you get to choose to be intimate and to set your love and affection on one person. It's a choice that you get to make. Same when it comes to God. God demands single-heartedness. God blesses single-heartedness. When we are single for God and nothing else, that's what the covenant looks like. But if you are in marriage today... You have, inside of that covenant, because marriage is a covenant, right? Inside of that covenant, you have all the parameters for the deepest intimacy (coughs) on the planet. You may know a lot of people from the opposite sex, but you've chosen to be intimate and to have an intimate relationship with one. That's what covenant allows. God forms covenants with us. Why? Because it allows us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. Covenant affords that. That puts the boundaries around that. God makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes covenants all through the Bible. And it allows us and him to enter into a deeper relationship. And when God says, I promise, you can take that to the bank. Many people say that the Christian lifestyle is a boxed-up, restricted lifestyle when it is free and liberty is inside of the Christian lifestyle. Why? Because we get to, to the exclusion of everything else, we get to love God to the exclusion of all else. Jesus, I said I'd call him back. (laughs) Let's bring this to a close. Let's read these last verses this morning. God is a sovereign God. God is a God of covenants. And why is those things important? Because what we learn is God's sovereignty reveals that God can. But here's a really important last one. God's covenants reveal that God will. Remember the leper? In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus comes down from the Sermon on the Mount A leper comes to him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me... What's he already affirmed? I know you can. I know you have the power to do it. But what a covenant says is God is willing to do it for you. His sovereignty reveals he can. His covenants reveal that he will. And as we read on, 
picking up in verse 18 and says, And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Interesting. Uh, First proposal to Pharaoh is, let us go and worship. Not let us go to the promised land, let us go and worship. Verse 19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled. Oh, how God compels him. That's, verse, that's chapter 5, by a mighty hand. And if you read down to the end, it says, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God makes a promise to bring his people to a better place. What I love about this section is that Moses asks three questions. God answers the first two. What we see is that God bothered with Moses. I'm astounded that God bothered with Moses. I'm astounded that God bothers with any of us. I'm astounded that God bothered with Jonah. What's the go with that, right? Why not just find somebody else? But God bothers with him. What we learn today is that before Moses was sent out, God draws him into his presence. Moses says, I'm not adequate. What was God's response? I am. Moses says, I'm not up to the job. And God says, I knew that when I called you. Today, I wonder if we can sit for just a moment. Because if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, I'm completely and utterly inadequate, you just may be where God wants you this morning. There are people in this room, I know for certain that God is drawing you into his presence in preparation to send you out. I'm going to pray in a moment, but if you need prayer this morning, we'd invite you to come out. We'd love to pray with you before you leave today. Father, I thank you today. Father, as we sit here today, Lord God, I thank you because we've all received an identity in Jesus Christ. We don't have to achieve an identity. We don't have to achieve a status. We don't have to achieve righteousness, but we stand in the identity that Jesus has given us as we are in him. And Lord, we thank you for that today. Father, as we all sit here, we are all in our own strength and in our own power. We are inadequate. But I thank you that you are with each and every one of us. I pray that you would continue to draw each of us into your presence. I pray that, Lord, you would open our eyes, that we would see more of you and adjust our lives to you.
I thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us and leads us and guides us. Father, I pray for your glory, Lord, that each one of us would continue to turn aside to you. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.